When I was 14, I went with a large group of young people from all over the country to a Baptist Missionary Society summer school. They used to do this every year, and there were about 200 of us, and they used to take over prep schools, and we slept in the dormitories, and they had lots of youth leaders join them, and it was talks in the mornings, talks in the evenings, and the rest of the time we had fun. And we were going with a group, with the, we had a youth leader with us, and we decided to go down to walk uh, to the beach. And on the way, there was an old-fashioned red telephone box. And somebody said, let's see how many people we can squeeze into that box. So we thought, that's a good idea. And I was one of the first in, squished in underneath the metal shelves where they kept the books, and they piled in and they piled in and then they had a second layer and they were just getting to the third layer when the youth leader suddenly said, out, everybody out. And I thought maybe somebody had got hurt or what, but we all piled out. He said, run round the corner. He said, I'm sorry about that. He said, but some, I overheard someone saying they were going to call the police. I'm not quite sure how they were going to call the police because we were in the box, but... Um, sorry. Too much singing and talking this morning, I think. Anyway, the reason I told that story, because there were a lot of us compressed into a very, very tiny space. And this reading this morning is very small, but there's a lot of meaning squeezed into those verses. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And Jesus, as we heard, he was out really at the outset of his ministry, but already he'd been working in great power and he'd been healing people, teaching about the kingdom, forgiving the sins of those who came to him. And then he came to the tax collector's booth. Tax collectors, not they were not liked because they're often fraudulent with what they did. And Levi was there, and Jesus looked at Levi... And he said, follow me. And there must have been such power in those words that something happened to Levi's heart and it must have been pounding like crazy. And he got up and he left his old way of life. He left his money. He left his old friends. He left absolutely everything behind. And he had no idea what the future would hold for him. But Jesus' holiness and presence was so great that he just acted. And Jesus, of course, called us powerfully to follow him. And I expect when you first became a Christian, you, you, your heart was going crazy. Somebody has said, you know, are you going to give your life to him? And your heart was going, you think, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And you do, and then there's that enormous relief. And I expect Levi felt like that. It must have been as if his chains had been torn and he was just ready to give his life to Jesus. And Jesus also whispers that to us still, will you continue to follow me? Will you take my truth and love to others? Are you willing to be my disciples? I'm asking 
you to be with me forever and to serve me. And really, Jesus calls us time and time and time again. It's not just the first time we give our lives to him. And we must respond when he calls us. But of course, Levi was thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. And he decided to throw a party. This wasn't just because he was so thrilled that he'd been released from his sin and he was feeling free. It was to be a witness to all his old friends. And Jesus was there. I think he wanted them to meet Jesus too. This is something I think in the West we miss out on. When somebody becomes a Christian, the whole of heaven rejoices. And yet we tend to be... Oh, isn't it nice so-and-so has become a Christian? And Jesus is saying, let's party. This is good news. And he wants us to be a little bit more free and easy. And I loved it. I helped with the cooking at Soul Survivor. And when they gave the call for the young people to give their lives to the Lord, everybody was jumping up and down and screaming and shouting and cheering. And that's how it should be. Thrilled when anyone gives their lives to the Lord. I want to give an example of giving a party. Our son Sam led a couple of short-term missions to Uganda to give people who are considering long-term mission a taste of what it could be like. And on this particular time, it was a Saturday night, and the following day they were due to go out to one of the villages and the villagers there, the church, they gathered all their friends and their families and their non-Christian friends, and they'd asked Sam's team to go and um, lead an evangelistic service. And that Saturday night, in true, true Ugandan style, they were horribly sick, and they all had diarrhea, and the team woke up the next morning, and they felt totally, utterly drained. And they crawled onto the minibus and in true African style, the minibus broke down and they were in the middle of nowhere and eventually they managed to get it going and they were three hours late when they arrived at the village and they thought everybody would have gone home, but no, they were there. And they cheered them as they arrived and so they thought, all right, we've got to leave this service. They were feel, still feeling awful. And the worship, I mean, the singing was, out, was awful because when you've not been well, you can't sing very well. And Sam said he did what it was a really rubbish talk. And to their amazement, people flocked forwards to give their lives to the Lord. They couldn't believe it. And they said, what happened, what happened? And Jesus had just asked them to be obedient. And it didn't matter how they felt, they went. And I think Jesus often asks us to go and speak to people, to pray with them. You you know what it is. It's on your heart. We may not feel like it, but just go. Because then you'll see what Jesus does. And it can be very exciting. Sorry, lost my place. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. 
got very cross when Jesus was partying with Levi. What on earth is he doing? Doesn't he realize that he's, he's there with sinners? He'll make him, he'll defile himself. Surely, if he called himself a rabbi, he ought to know better. How awful. And thinking back, I can remember being a little prudish Pharisee when I was at university. I was one of those nice, squeaky clean little Christian girls who went to church every Sunday and went to all the Christian fellowship meetings. And there was one young man in my college called Andy who never came to the Christian fellowship meetings. Instead, he was in the pub, pint in hand, telling the other students about the love of Jesus. And we condemned him. We said, what's he doing in a pub? He's being a bad witness. And of course, we were the ones who were in the wrong. He was in the right place. He was where Jesus would have been. Now, Robbie Dawkins has quite a bit to say about this. And at the outset of his ministry, he was a youth pastor. And he was working in a very, very rough area. And the young people who came to the the meetings, they were from quite a range. There was one young man who turned up. He always wore a suit and a tie. And then there were the generally troubled teens, right through to the drug takers and the dealers. And there was one in particular called Wes at the back. And nothing to do with our youth leader, I might add. Um, (laughs) He was one of the worst. For some reason, he was going out with one of the Christian girls, which Robbie couldn't understand, because he was one of the chief troublemakers. He was the dealer. And he only ever used to call out unhelpful things. He, He was never very helpful. And some people said, can't you tell Wes not to come? But God had told Robbie, no, he must come. I'm not going to tell you the full story, because I'm going to recommend this book. It's by Robbie Dawkins. It's Do Greater Things, Activating the Kingdom to Heal the Sick and Love the Lost. Go online and buy it. It's dynamite. If you've never thought of stepping out of your comfort zone, read this book. Even if you don't feel comfortable about stepping out of your comfort zone, give it a go and see what Jesus will do. And it's quite exciting. But I will summarize the the story. The, The clean young Christian who came with the suit and the tie, um, he was called Dean. And the upshot was that the pastor suggested to Robbie, uh, to Robbie that Dean would make an excellent successor as youth pastor when Robbie moved on. And Robbie thought, no, 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 no. Because God had already showed him that Wes was going to be the new pastor. And I'm, I'm quoting from his book now. He's a bad influence, the pastor said. Having him in the group makes it seem as though we're not serious about our commitment to Jesus. I didn't protest, because I knew Wes had a bad reputation. But I also knew that Jesus was accused of hanging out with drunkards, prostitutes, 
tax collectors and other sinners of various kinds. And he responded by saying, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To cut a long story short, Wes became an excellent pastor because God did mighty things in his life. I love stories like that, but it's good for us to sometimes think, where do I stand? Where am I in Jesus' story? Yes, there's a lot of outreach through this church amongst the young people, the elderly, amongst the mums and toddlers, Genesis Project, Westerfest, the list goes on. But I'm talking about us as individuals. And Robbie Dawkins spoke about our oikos. Greek speakers will tell me I pronounced that wrong, but it's a Greek word meaning our house and family. And it also includes the 10 to 15 people that we see regularly, people like, uh, well, through work, clubs, shopkeepers, carers, hairdressers, school gates, cafes, you name it, you know, the ones you bump into every day. And that's our sphere of influence. And we may not have seen much uh, amongst them. We might have spoken about our Christian faith with them. But just keep praying, because a lot of these people... Although they appear to be okay, they're they're seething inside and they need Jesus' love. Or God might be asking you deliberately to go to people outside of that sphere and to take a step out into the unknown. And if he is, go for it, because that's what Jesus would want us to do. And we must be warned by these verses. I spoke about me being a bit like the Pharisees when I was at college, condemning those. I was so wrong. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But when we've been Christians for a long time, we can always fall into the danger of feeling self-righteous. We may think we're doing okay. We may start to coast along and even forget how much we truly rely on Jesus day by day. I do this from time to time. And it's at times like these that we need, uh, we are ourselves the ones who need a doctor. And we need to confess and ask Jesus to come and eat with us. Here I am, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Maybe we need to stop being busy from time to time. Acknowledge our need for Jesus and invite him again into our lives in in a powerful way. On the news, I saw Prince Harry sharing a hongi in uh, New Zealand. It's when they rub noses. And I heard George Carey talking about this once. And he says that you're meant to actually breathe on each other and then breathe each other's breath in. Now, I can remember George Carey saying, I hope they'd scrub their teeth that morning. (laughs) But this is how intimate Jesus wants to be with us. He wants us, as it were, to be so close to him 
that we breathe in the breath of his Holy Spirit. And we must make time. Adrian Pless puts this quite succinctly in a little poem I'm going to read to you. About being too busy for God. He's meant to be on the phone. He said, Oh Jesus, don't come round tonight. I'm busy in the hall. And the chances of a chat with you are really rather small. So many people need me, and I can't deny them all, so it looks as if I won't be in if you decide to call. Yes, Tuesday would be better, but I think the man next door is looking rather troubled, and I've helped him out before. Well, a friend in need is something I can never quite ignore. No, don't come round tomorrow night. You understand, I'm sure. Wednesday night, that's study group. Thursday, I'm away. On Friday, I've got tickets for the local Christian play. Saturday's the mission, and that'll take all day. Better if we leave it now till Sunday night. Okay? Oh, Jesus, do you love me? Will you ever set me free? I've built myself a prison. I've thrown away the key. I'm weeping in the darkness. Yes, I'm longing now to see the plans you have for both of us. Please come and visit me. I just want to finish with a quotation from Heidi Baker's book called Reckless Devotion. More can happen during one minute under the anointing than can be achieved by days or weeks of striving. When we wait on the Holy Spirit and we connect with him, hearing the Father's heart, then we know how we should pray, what to do, and how we should do it. As we abide in Jesus, resting in him, He prepares us to go out and touch the lives of others.